Heavenly Father, thank you for the next few moments that you would speak to each one of us. That, Lord, that we would be able to, in a, in a, a moment of pause, just be reminded and aware of who you are. It's easy to get so caught up in everything in life and demands that we can actually tune out. But in these next few moments, I ask you to help us tune in. And this is what I ask in Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen. Well, this is the last Sunday of this short series titled Invitation to Encounter. And to be honest with you, I don't think I've been more impacted by a message myself. I feel that it has been a time of challenge. It's been a time of being disorientated in a sense of life and what's going on. And then finding time to put into practice what I'm preaching. And that can be a challenge. There's no pressure for you, but there's a lot of pressure for me. I live in a glass house, so to speak. So anyway, we're talking about invitation to encounter because it is the heart of God for you. It's God's heart. And this is his invitation. Last year we spoke in terms of, at the end of the year, we, we did a series on the master's plan. And that really introduced us to the idea that God deeply yearns for us. He wants to move in and through our lives that we may impact his kingdom, not my kingdom, his kingdom. This is reflected by our own very hearts reaching out and crying out to all that God is. The question is, how can I, how can you rediscover our mission, our purpose, collectively or individually? My answer is through encounter. Nothing has changed since Adam, right through to now, to this day. It is the echo, it is the cry of God's heart. We've mentioned uh, each week, and I just want to honour again Lana Vorso, where she speaks about listening and hearing God, and how she says God speaks differently to each one of us. And each moment he speaks is an invitation into encounter. I think they are very sweet words. So no matter what your definition is, your use of theology, or the theories that you hold and possess, you cannot escape that you are spiritual. In fact, the Bible describes many experiences as being spiritual. In fact, I believe the Bible is spiritual. Some will say there's a book and have disregard for it. For me, this is not just a book that has print in it, but this is the very living word of God. I don't worship it, but I acknowledge its source. So the Bible describes many experiences, starting with new believers that are born again in, by spirit. Jesus spoke about listening to God's words. They are spirit and life. We are encouraged to set our minds on the spirit, not flesh. The natural comes first, the spiritual second. We learn of the first Adam being a living soul, the second Adam, i.e. Christ Jesus is a life-giving spirit. 
We learn that if we sow to the flesh, we reap corruption. If we sow to our spirit, we reap eternal life. And we could go on. There are many spiritual terms to describe our spiritual reality. We learn again, even in the start of the book of Ephesians in chapter 1, that we have spiritual blessings, not blessings. The Bible describes them as spiritual blessings. We learn of spiritual leaders and spiritual leadership. We're encouraged to be spiritually alert, spiritually mature, to be a spiritual house or people who offer spiritual sacrifices, spiritual songs, and a spiritual service. There are spiritual standards, spiritual lifestyle, spiritual gifts, spiritual giftings. There is spirit of wisdom and there's a spirit of understanding, even spiritual discernment. And a few more, just to add a few more just for you, just to add all the weight of, there are spiritual forces, even spiritual powers that we learn of, and even spiritual darkness. We could go on. I was reading just recently among uh, unchurched, okay, non-church goers in America of adults, 51% say they are seeking something better spiritually than what they have previously experienced. Unchurched, non-church goers, 51% of this survey says that they're seeking something better spiritually. How much more should we? As you can see, the Bible doesn't take long to describe the conflict of our two natures. We won't spend time on that today. But with one standout feature, that one has progression over the other. So what am I saying? I'm describing something this morning, and that is to say that we are spiritual. You are a spiritual person. And we will continue to grow in our experience and encounter of what being spiritual is all about. This is not new to the Bible. We read this in Genesis when God made us in his image and through Adam, God breathed his spirit into first man, Genesis 2.7. And Jesus highlighted again in John 4.24 that God is spirit and we must worship him in spirit and in truth. We're worshippers in spirit. That's how we best relate to God. The idea of being Christian is to be spiritual. You don't have a choice. To be Christian is to be spiritual. It's also a call, a call that God has called each of us to enter into. When I read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, there's one constant theme throughout the Old and New Covenants. This yearning of God's heart for relationship as he speaks to individuals, to groups, and to the masses. There's this sense where there's this spirit-to-spirit dynamic that begins to emerge. 
See, encounter opens the door for us to be renewed as his people, to be refreshed in and through presence experiences. See, encounter is not just for the super spiritual or the spiritually spooky, as some may think. It is for everyone. It is for you. It is for me. And when we discover his presence and this truth of his yearning for us to be in him, we learn to be still, to be ready, to be aware, and to be brave. It's a season to be brave, friends. This invitation is asking us as a church to be brave, to step out of our comfort zone, to take God at his word, to trust him and to go deeper. I love what Moses starts to speak to Joshua. Moses knows he's not going over into the promised land, and there's good reason for that. We may talk about that in a few moments. And so Moses is sharing some words of wisdom to his apprentice. And he says this in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, he says, and different translations use different words, but this is the sense of it. Be brave and strong, he's saying to Joshua. Don't be afraid of the nations on the other side of the Jordan. The Lord your God will be with you always at your side, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. Joshua needed to hear those words, and so do we. In fact, what I love is that God echoes these words to Moses. Maybe they didn't originate with Moses. We don't know. But God speaks these same words and echoes these words to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1. Go get ready. You're about to cross over to the Jordan. Be courageous. Be brave. Be strong. But what was the most important? It's very hard to be brave if we don't have assurance that God is with us. If we don't know that God has said do this and to step out. The invitation to encounter for you and I is a special one because God never loses hope that we can at any moment encounter him, his living presence. I've had a busy time, I think, for the whole of this year, just weekends and projects and different things on the weekends. And yesterday was my first weekend, my first day, mostly I could sit. And I felt, to be honest with you, terribly guilty, lazy. I sat outside with my coffee and I'm just talking to Jesus, looking over my notes, and I'm just trying to just stop the world. And I loved it. And every now and then I would feel guilty and thought, I've got to do this job, I've got to do that, I've got to do. And there was a couple of calls I made, but that wasn't in so much an interruption. But I'm learning in my own self how to make this possible. How about you? Have you got time for Jesus? Is your week full up, full of appointments? I remember a pastor, a senior pastor I was leading under, he actually factored in appointments for his children just to make sure because life gets so busy, 
that he'd actually have appointments locked in for his family. I sort of thought that was weird at the start, but now I get why. And maybe we're going to make appointments for Jesus. Don't feel guilty when you're spending time with Jesus. Like I sort of did yesterday. God prefers us to be brave and face our fears. One of my lessons in this journey is that vulnerability breaks fear off my life. When I'm vulnerable before God, when I'm vulnerable in those safe places, fear has no hold on me. Fear has no hold of you. We are saved for service to serve God, to serve each other, to serve our community. And I believe we have a lot of catching up to do in our mission to become a reality. We are not just saved from, and we focus on what we're saved from, and we glory and we busk in that, hallelujah, I'm saved from going to hell. I'm not going to hell anymore. I'm a redeemed, hallelujah, saint. I'm a, I was a, a sinner, but now I'm a saint. And while that may be true, we are saved not just from something, but for something. And I believe that will be our biggest hurdle in the next com coming months and years. Actually identifying what and why we are here. Because when we get it, they will get it. When we know it, they will want to know it. When we see it, Amongst ourselves, they will want to ask us, what's happening with you? God's accompanying presence is most felt when we are ready to be still, to be ready, to be aware, and to be brave. It's not my idea, but when you read from Genesis to Revelation, you, you cannot dismiss the idea of encounter. You may have another word for that. Meeting, reflecting, pondering, yearning, seeking, desiring. Somehow there's something in you that God is drawing us and him together. Mark Sayer says this, the root of our emotional toxicity, our deep anxiety and our fears lies in the absence of God's presence. Wow. What, 30, 40, 60 years of effort and vain effort maybe to try and resolve something one or two seconds maybe just before God in a vulnerable state may usher in the most amazing healing I could ever experience. Maybe. We see this undoing with Moses and with many leaders, challenged about their frailty, their weakness and limitations. We learned this early. Let's have a look at a few verses. I'm not reading all of these out for you, but you can look back over Exodus chapter 3 and 4. I would encourage you to do that this week and ask God, what were you saying to Moses that you're saying to me? In Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, it says, The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard of their crying out because of the slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. 
We heard Yvette speaking and praying this morning. God is so invested and so interested in his people, all people. So he says, I have come down to rescue them from the land of the, of, from the hand of the Egyptians, pardon me, and to bring them up into the land, into a good and spacious land, flowing with milk and honey. Let's just go to verse 10. So he talks about the cry reaching him, and then he says in verse 10, So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. We read on just a couple more verses, but there's a lot here, and uh, I encourage you to read this. The Moses struggled with the request. Moses struggled with the invitation, but he gets it. But Moses says to God, who am I? Who? Who am I? That should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. I am nothing. I am pathetic. I am hopeless. I am out in this desert. You have got to be kidding me. And all God, God's most immediate answer is to Moses, is this, Moses, I will be with you. Should be end of argument, but it wasn't. Moses was terribly riddled with insecurity because of what happened in life and experiences. The devil got in there. The enemy got in there. He was daunted and insecure for the mission at hand. He makes up excuses and we can go on. In fact, if you read it at the very end, Moses says in his last excuse, hey, I know it's been a bit of a tough conversation, you and me, mighty God. But I don't want to do it. Please send someone else. And right then we read that the anger of God burned against Moses. It's, it's a miracle we can read about Moses. I look at Moses and go, there's a miracle we even got. And you look at Hebrews 3 and 4. Whoa. There was transformation happening. This was another moment of encounter. This was another moment of engagement. He said, I will be with you. God's reply is, I am everything you are not, Moses. I will fulfill you. I will complete you. I will enable you. I will be with you. End of argument. End of excuses. Just do it. Moses focused on his weakness, on himself, rather than on the word and the promise of God. The absence of mission could make one suggest that even as we as churches, we have succumbed to the devil's plan to become irrelevant or ineffectual and even lose our way. We've listened to the lies of the people and of the enemy of the world and we see ourselves as weak, frail and helpless. And this should not be. Is not God with us after all? Shouldn't we be confident? That God is here? That's the answer. That's the kingdom being made manifest. That's the legacy that we each hold and carry as disciples. Bearing witness 
to encounter, bearing witness of the very presence of Jesus. Moses learned, and we see this, how he, he met God with face to face. I believe he had more encounters than anybody. That's my personal opinion. And he longed for the presence of God. Oh boy, did he get it wrong, but he got it right as well. He became confident. He became secure. He became brave and courageous and strong and willing. Yes, at times a little presumptuous. I admit a little confident, overconfident maybe. But we see the journey here as he grew with God's presence. See, the whole point behind invitation is that it leads us to something. It leads us to a place where we encounter God and we, we feel the weight of his heart. We feel the weight that he sees every day, people who are crying out to him in desperation. God's not a transcendent God that is away, winds up the clock and just leaves it. He is so involved with humanity. I saw photos this week where the Ukraine people were getting together in their different areas and praying and asking God for strength and to intervene. Why would we pray if God is so distant? We pray because God is immediate. He is here with his dwelling presence. So the whole point behind invitation is mission. Mission here is encounter, bringing back intimacy. Generally, you could say a lack of mission can point back to some place or somehow a lack of encounter. Back earlier to my start of the message, I spoke about spiritual. What happened in the garden? What happened when Adam and Eve sinned? What changed? Adam, where are you? They heard him walking in the garden, it says. They heard the voice of the Lord and they hid. Adam, Eve, yoo-hoo. What was lost? Spiritual intimacy was fractured. It was tainted. It was stained. A chief priority consists of worshiping God, doesn't it? With all that we are to who, all that he is. We're not here to twiddle our thumbs or be entertained or like the music or enjoy the service. To do so would be to judge God. God is not looking for consumers but contributors. And here this is where mission drives and, and, and woos out of our spirit because it comes naturally from intimacy, spiritual intimacy. If only we are willing to be still and to be ready and to be aware of what God is doing and what God is saying, then we will be brave. 
we will grow. We will grow in our faith. We will grow in our confidence. We will grow in wisdom. We will grow in our serving. We will grow in our giving. We will grow in our relationships. We will grow in intimacy. Spiritual intimacy. Coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. It's all about you. And I get it that there are times in churches where there's leanness, times of rest, times to refresh, times to revitalize and regather. But God will, he says, restore what the locusts have eaten. But there must be a time when we are willing to step in and to step out in our calling as a church and as individuals, as sons and daughters of the Most High God. All these experiences for invitation are not for you and I to stand aside and enjoy momentary bliss while the world goes to hell. No. Somehow that lost spiritual intimacy is what God is wanting to restore every day in our hearts and lives. Somehow the encounter must transition. The transaction must become transformation. It must flow through us and it must lead to mission. That's what will reach the world. The call of disciples was not just involved in how to minister and learn how to serve Jesus, but to reciprocate this ministry throughout the ages. So I'm going to ask you today to be brave. I'm going to ask you to be what we would say sometimes scared spitless. Don't spit. Not in this climate. I'm asking you to trust God and to listen to him. See, the measure of being brave is stepping into mission. The measure of being brave is being obedient at risk of being a fool. Because when we are vulnerable, we are learning. The measure of being brave is to step out and trust beyond our own understanding. And the measure of being brave is to acknowledge our true Spirituality, our deep need for spiritual intimacy. Allowing God to work in me and in you, growing and flourishing in us as the Holy Spirit changes me and changes you as he works in us and through us. Richard B. Hayes, Professor of New Testament, Duke University Divinity School emphasises and says this, the Holy Spirit must be experienced as a living presence within the church. That message is both faithful to Paul and urgent for the community of faith in our time. We're not here to watch the show. We're not here to be entertained. We're not here to feel good. We're here to learn and to spiritually be intimate together in this place, together with God, that we may go into the world. 
with this lingering and engaging presence demonstrating who Jesus is. The benefits, friends, of being still, being ready, and then learning and hungering to be aware of his presence will lead us to an influential incarnate life of daringness and braveness, of spiritual intimacy, of understanding and closeness, and of evil hiding, not physically but spiritually, because the intimacy was lost. What doesn't challenge you will not change you. Let us pray. There's a scripture, the prayer's up on the screen. Father, and I pray this is your prayer over this. I can send you copies if you want. We can put it in the UB News, print it up, whatever. Whatever it would do to help you get this and just maybe your prayers, it is my prayer. Father, help me to go deeper, to grow deeper, so that I may discern your voice and decipher your voice from the other voices, so that I may receive your invitation to encounter. May my heart settle enough to clear the way through the fog and smoke of life's demands and details, and that I may take a moment or two and to wait on you, to rediscover how to be still, to be ready, to be aware of your presence and to be brave in the call of closeness and spiritual intimacy each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. It is my prayer, friends, that through this series that you and I will step into a daring, deeper call of intimacy and encounter with the living Saviour, the living Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what the world needs, and that's why we still have breath to breathe. This is his heart. God bless.